Welcome to the Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. Amen. Are you glad to be in the place today? Awesome. Thank you for coming out on this chilly day. I mean, what else were you going to do? Stay home and watch football? That's not for another couple hours anyway. You don't need all that pregame stuff. You know what's going to happen. Amen. If you've got your Bibles today, we're going to be in the book of Romans. We're going to be in chapter 8. If you've been in church very long, you will probably hear some familiar verses, but we're hoping that the Lord brings something a little different. I feel like He has in preparing for this. So, um, we're going to read the passage. I'll give you the title, and then we will pray. Does that sound good? Are you ready? Amen. Amen. We're going to read Romans 8, beginning in verse 18. I'm reading out of the NASB today. Verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Other versions say, in us. That's important. We'll get to that. Verse 19, for the eagerly awaiting creation waits for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. Got to read that again. Eagerly awaiting creation waits for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The children of God, not the glory of God, the glory of the children of God. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only that, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our body. This sounds like good news, doesn't it? This sounds like good news. And we're going to talk today about God's sons and daughters revealed. God's sons and daughters revealed. I don't know if you realize it yet, but you're not quite all that there is inside you. Amen? You've not quite lived up to the hype just yet of what God has for you, and neither has this house. We're going to talk about it, all right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. We ask you, Lord, to give us hearing ears that we may hear this word, Lord God. Give us fleshy hearts that it may be good ground for the good seed of the word that it may take root in us and break open in us and produce something alive that remains. And we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Paul is writing to the Roman church. And this church is is an interesting church because Paul didn't start it. A lot of the churches he writes to, he started. So he knows all the folks there. He's met all the folks there now. There's a strong possibility he knows some of these folks. But he's writing to a church that is established. By the time that Paul makes a connection to the Roman church, it is established in the capital of the Roman Empire. 
what happened was on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 1 and 2, remember there were devout Jews out of every nation under heaven that were in Jerusalem. Remember that? And then what happened on the day of Pentecost? Come on, we're Pentecostal. What happened? The Holy Spirit fell. The Holy Spirit fell, and there were thousands of people impacted over the course of just a few days. And among those were some Roman Jews that heard about Jesus, and they got filled with power. And they went back to Rome, and they started looking at their Jewish roots, their former faith, and they started realizing that Jesus was in that. That he was in the Old Testament. And then somehow or another, they became acquainted with Paul. And Paul began to write and correspond with them. And eventually would go to be with them. But they formed this church in Rome. And in in the previous chapter, Paul is making the case to them. That because of Christ, what our flesh wants and what our spirit wants are now different. Amen. Have you noticed that? What your flesh wants and what the Spirit of God in you wants are often not the same. If they're the same, then that's not the Spirit of God. Amen? If the the Holy Spirit, air quotes, Holy Spirit is telling you to do fleshy things against the Word of God, that's not the Holy Spirit. All right? Rule of thumb. That is not the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit and our flesh diverge on what it comes, or, or, or what it wants when it comes to our faith. So because there is now a difference between what our flesh wants and what our spirit wants, he encourages them that if they are in Christ, they're not condemned for wanting what the flesh wants, caveat, so long as they resist and choose to walk in the spirit instead. Did you know that you are not condemned for having a thought that is contrary to the word of God? You are condemned for acting upon the thought. Did you know that? You know, sometimes you have that thought. I'm going to give a funny example where you just want to strangle somebody, where you just want to do that little number there, and you don't do it, do you? You can't go to prison for it. You didn't do it. It works the same way in the kingdom of God. You have that thought, that moment of temptation, that moment of desire. It shoots across your mind, and every time you resist and choose to walk in the spirit instead of the flesh, you just want a victory. Did you know that? You just want a victory. Don't be hard on yourself for having a thought. Be hard on yourself if you give in to the thought. Okay? But if you win, you've overcome. You didn't do it. Old you would have done it. Amen? Remember, gentlemen, I'll speak to the men. Remember 14, 15, 16-year-old you? Ladies, I'm sure you all were better people than we were at that point. But we were punks. We were dumb, weren't we? We did things that we, we just thought about it, felt it, and did it because we were dumb. You remember all those things, and you know how right now you don't do those things anymore? You're a victor. You have overcome. You've won the victory. Oh, my gosh, that thing comes on the TV and you turn the channel? You just won. That's victory. Ladies, don't beat them up. That wasn't me. See, somebody's throwing stuff. Don't beat them up. They did the right thing. They won the victory. They defeated their enemy. They vanquished the opportunity. Amen? They overcame. And ladies, I'm sure you all have stuff that you overcome all the time. I am not a woman, so I don't know. And the longer I go married to one, the less I know. Amen? And all the men said, that's right. Amen. But regardless, 
who we were, the flesh and its power over us, should be diminishing in our life. And the Spirit of God within us should be growing in our life. And as long as that's happening, do not be condemned. Amen? Do not be condemned. Because a thought shoots across your mind and you say, you know what? I'm not going to do that. You won. All right? Sermon number one. He says they are not condemned so long as they resist and walk by the Spirit, which sets us free from the law of sin and death. He said the law of the Spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. Amen? He goes on to speak about how that we have Christ's Spirit in us and we can cry, Abba, Father, to God. What that means is that we can cry out to God as if He were always our God, always our Father, and as if we were always His kids. Amen? But the reality, the beautiful truth is that we were not always His. But when we cry out to Him, He sees it, He hears it, He interprets it as if, it were, as if we were always His. It's beautiful, beautiful truth that Paul's communicating to the Romans. But now that we are sons, we are joint heirs with Christ, he says in the previous verses. Joint heirs. And that, you can dig in on that all day. That's a great one. And our bodies have died to sin and come alive to God just as our spirits did. Amen. So that's all the background for this chapter. Now we get to verse 18. Paul shifts gears in a way, furthering what he's already saying. But he mentions a, a peculiar word over the next few verses. We've read two of them. Uh, we're going to get to the third one as we go. But he says in verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I want to camp out here for a second. Paul indicates present time and what is to come. You with me? There's a present time. There's suffering in the present time. Amen. Anybody suffering in the present time? You don't have to raise your hand. Okay. Suffering in the present time. Things are adverse. In the present time. But then he says there, that what is in the present is not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. That is to be revealed in us. That word to actually means into. Into. Okay, so I've come into relationship with Christ. My flesh and my spirit, their desires are divergent. My spirit can win if I choose the spirit over the flesh. And now Paul indicates to us that what is presently adverse to me is not all that there is. All right? It's not all there is. That what I am at this moment is not it. But that there is a glory that is yet to be revealed into me. Into you. That means there is room, there is space, there's opportunity inside you for a glory that has not yet come. A glory that is sourced from God, that has your name on it, that is for you. You just haven't put your hands on it yet. Anybody had that experience? You know there's more. You know there's more within you. You know that there's something else that is happening. And he says that this glory is to be revealed future into us. So it's something that I've not yet obtained, but it's something that is coming into me. All right? Hold that. Verse 19. For the eagerly awaiting creation waits for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. Really cool thing here. This word revealing is the Greek word apocalypsis. What does that sound like? Apocalypse. That, always, that has a heavy connotation, doesn't it? Apocalypse. Did you know that word is in your Bible? 
in the form of the, the name of the last book in your Bible. Apocalypse, in our mind, we picture nuclear war and Armageddon and all this stuff. But apocalypse means revelation. Revelation. So, the, the, creation, or the, anxious, the creation is anxiously awaiting, eagerly awaiting the revelation of the sons and daughters of God. So, in the, in the previous verse, Paul says there's a glory that's not yet come into us. In this verse, he says that this glory, when it comes in, will be visible will be apparent. It will be evident. Are you with me? Okay? Put your waders on. We're going deeper. All right? The glory that is yet to come, that is coming into me, that I have space for, is not meant to just be inside me, but it is meant to influence outside of me. The revelation. He says the creation waits for the revelation. In other words, the glory that God has for you and I is meant to influence the environment around us instead of the environment around us influencing us. That's where most of us live. Amen? You got a full-time job, you're married, you've got kids, you're working, you've got all these you got hobbies, you got all these things going on. And and a lot of times just a couple little knobs or dials get out of whack and everything starts to get shaky. Amen? Everything gets shaky. I gave this example in the, in the early service, but I work at Toyota, and we supply paint to, the, to the, the, the company, and they put the paint on the cars. And it's really cool to watch because they have these big, long booths, and the, the cars come in on these carriers, and they have these robot arms that are doing this thing. And the paint is coming out at 30,000 RPM. It's crazy. That thing would saw your hand off if you touched it. It's crazy. The paint's coming out, and the paint's electrified, and the car's electrified, and it's bonding the paint and the metal together. It's very fascinating, isn't it? But what's amazing is all the conditions have parameters that have to be set. All of the conditions in the booth have to be just right, or you start having defects. You start having issues, right? If it's a little too wet in there, if it's a little too humid in there, all of a sudden, all that paint that's flying off the car in molecular sizes and hitting the car, all that paint starts to collect in weird ways. It starts to stagnate in places. They call it sagging. You get bubbles and bumps and all this stuff, and, it, and that's a big deal when you're making, you know, $8,000 a minute or whatever it is they're making. So anyway... All of these things, the paint's flying, the body's moving, all these things are happening, and yet if the humidity gets off just a little bit, everything from that moment on comes out different. If, if somebody gets something that's not compatible with it, a contaminant, and that hits the car, all of a sudden, every car thereafter comes out different. Amen? The life of a believer is very much the same. Right, We have all of these things that are happening in life, all of these things that need to be just right, and when one gets off, it throws off another. And when that gets off, it throws off another. And we create this cascade effect of, of problems, and defects begin to pop up in our life. Things begin to happen within our life. And before long, we're saying, where's God? What happened? How did this, how did this take place in my life? And the problem is not the thing that went wrong. The problem is that the thing that went wrong moved you. The problem was that the glory within you that you've not obtained to just yet is not as powerful as the environment around you. 
But we have a promise from the apostle that when the glory is revealed in us, that it will influence what's around us. Amen? That the glory of God that, that my life has room for, that your life has room for, is so potent, it is so robust, so strong, that when something gets off kilter, you don't have to be moved. You don't have to be influenced as you once would have been. Amen? That's good news. That's the gospel. Amen? God can put something in earthen vessels like you and I. That is so powerful that when earth gets involved, earth has to stop and say, hold on, I can't do that to them. Because what's in them is greater than what's in me. Our enemy can't just do what he wants. I know it feels like it sometimes, doesn't it? I know it feels like he's got his thumb on you and he's got his foot on your neck and he's trying to take you out. I know that, but if he could, don't you think he would have by now? Amen. If he could totally and utterly annihilate you, do you think you'd still be here right now? There is glory in you. There is something ahead of you that you've not quite laid hold of just yet. You are not all that you appear to be. Amen. There is something with your name on it that is so powerful that the enemy, that the environment around you will have to stop at the perimeter. It might come close, but it can't take you out. It can't bring the lethal blow, amen? Because there's a glory yet to be revealed in you. There's a glory yet to be revealed in your marriage and in your children. There's a glory yet for this house and for your house, amen? There has to be, or he wouldn't have said it. What most people do is they read this passage and they just kick the can down the road to eternity. They say, oh, when we see him, we're going to be like him. For we'll see him as he is. And that's true. Amen? One day, these eyes are going to see Him. And when I see Him, I'm going to be like Him. And I cannot imagine that. I can't imagine it. But if it's only about eternity, why leave it in the book? If it's only about 50 years from now, why leave it in the book? He says, right now creation is eagerly awaiting for the revealing, present tense, the revelation now. There's a revelation of what God has put in you that's not yet come. That's good news. There's a revelation of this house that has not yet come. Verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. I just proved to you what I was saying in the prior verses. I was saying to you that the glory of God in you can influence and change the environment. And this verse proves it. Because creation is waiting for freedom through the glory of the children of God. You with me? Your bondage around you is not hinging upon whether or not the enemy gives up. Come on, this is, man, this is working in me. The, glory, the, the bondage, the attack, the onslaught is not depending upon how much you can pray or say or claim or name. Amen? It's depending upon the glory of God that is revealed in you. It's depending upon how you become a glorified son or daughter of God. And I'm going to tell you how in just a second. But I want you to understand what's at stake here. The glory of God in your life will push back against the environment around you that's trying to shape you. That's it. That's the reality. 
We don't live there a lot, do we? And so that's why we see a disparity. I know what God can do, but I don't see what God can do because I'm not in His glory. His glory is not in me. You with me? Okay. All right, we're going somewhere. Hang on. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. This word groans in the Greek means to sigh. You ever been in a situation and you just sigh? (sighs) I'm catching my breath. That's why I'm sighing. (sighs) Here's how I often sigh when something happens. (sighs) Here we go again. My sigh is usually followed by words. Here we go again. Oh, man. Anybody sigh like that? Anybody do the whole back thing? Oh, God. Or the head scratch, the head row. Amen. However you manifest your groan, your sigh. It's very real, isn't it? It's a beautiful thing to see in Scripture, people being people. Amen. He says the whole creation groans that way and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Verse 23, and not only that, but also we ourselves. I can tell you from experience, we ourselves groan. Right? We ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit. How many of you have the Holy Spirit in your life? Amen? All right, awesome. That's great. Awesome. How often is the Holy Spirit in you groaning against what you're doing or wanting to do? Fair? You ever feel like God just goes, <sighs> you ever try to do something in the Holy Spirit, in the name of the Spirit, in the name of God, and you, get, you do it, and it's just a, oh, that didn't go right. That didn't go well. It happens sometimes. The Holy Spirit groans. He says, we having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. What does that mean? We sigh, we groan, because we know there's something more, but we've not attained to it yet. Amen? We know God has more presence for us, but we've not experienced it yet. We know there's more knowledge and revelation, but we don't have it just yet. We know there's a healing, but we're not healed yet. Amen? We know there's a deliverance, but our enemy is pushing on us, right? All these things are happening, and so we groan within ourselves, just like creation does. We groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons and daughters. That word adoption is awesome because it doesn't just mean the conventional, you know, oh, you're you're mine now. I mean, that's powerful. That's great. But it actually means placement as sons. Placement. That means I was over here, and there is a place that is better for me. And I have been placed in that place that is better for me because my new father has found a better place. Amen? And that place is designed for me, and I'm designed for it. And I'm going to thrive there. I'm not just going to grow. I'm going to thrive. I'm going to produce fruit. And that fruit is going to remain. Amen? That's what it's all about. Our placement, we're hungry for adoption. Not just heaven. I want to go to heaven. I want to see Jesus. I want to touch him. I want to put my arms around him. I want to. I want to. But I want to be fruitful until he comes. Amen, I want to be placed, I want deep roots that don't let me bend and move with every wind that blows. I want to grow from the ground up into something great that he can lodge great things in. Not so that I'm great, but so that the husbandman, the gardener, God is great and glorified. So they see my good works and glorify my Father in heaven. That's what I want, that's what I'm groaning for. I've not gotten it yet, I'm, I'm in some place, I'm, I'm close but I'm not just quite there yet. Amen? Can anybody testify to that? And there's frustration that comes because there's a disparity there. 
There's a frustration and we groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons and daughters. This original passage says sons. It doesn't say daughters. Ladies, don't feel slighted. All right? Understand, I've said this before. I said it in the 9 a.m. as well. God speaks of all of us as sons because historically sons inherit. Sons have rights. Sons can take legal action. Sons can own. Sons can do a lot. Amen? Sons can fight. Guess what? You come to Jesus, you're not a girl. You're a son. Amen? And I didn't mean that in a derogatory way. I'm saying, you know what I mean? Do you get it? You're elevated. You're as equal as any one of the dudes in here. Amen? You've got as much right and as much authority as we have. Amen? Nobody's second class in the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter what you're born to be. It doesn't matter what society says you ought to be. Amen? If you're in Him, you're a new creature. You're a son. You've got rights to inherit. You've got rights to fight, rights to, to claim over this life, right? He says we're waiting eagerly for our adoption, our placement as sons, the redemption of our body. The question is this. The question is this. If this is only about getting to heaven, why are we majoring on it? Why are we focusing upon it? Or could this also be about the journey that we're on? Could this be about the here and now? This present time, this present adversity is not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. Yes, heaven's going to be glorious, but I'm going to be glorious before I get there. This church is going to be glorious before we get there. Amen? Your marriage, your kids are going to be glorious before we get there. Why wait till heaven to see the glory? Why wait till heaven to get in the glory, to live in the authority and the power that God has for us? Why wait until then? Why not say, God, if you have glory for me and there's room in my life, I want it. I want it. And that's the question. Do we want it? Do we want it? Because if the glory of God comes, things might change. What Things might change in here if the glory of God comes. And I don't mean in worship like I'm talking I mean, obviously, God's going to do what He wants to do, and we're going to move, right? But I'm saying when the glory of God, when that glory of God is revealed in your life, you might start to worship different. Can I get real radical for a second? Everybody, can I just say, you got to love me, okay? The glory of God might get in you so much, you might move your seat. Nobody's throwing anything yet. All right. All right. Can I, can I camp out here for a second? What if the glory gets in you so much that you want to sit closer? Well, well, the glory of God's everywhere. It is. It's absolutely everywhere. But what if you feel like moving? What if you feel like, hey, I'm closer. I'm going to sit closer. Amen. All right. Okay. I'm feeling everybody's pulling back. All right. We're Americans. We like to sprawl out, right? I got, got my whole row. We like to manifest destiny. We want to sprawl out, right? Did you know unbelievers aren't going to come in this house and sit in these rows? Did you know that? Where are they going to sit? Where you're sitting. Did you know that? Sorry. I didn't mean to go there. I didn't plan on it. I didn't plan on it. But if we think an unbeliever, a bound, addicted person is going to come up, walk up the middle aisle, sit on the first, second, third, fourth row, and look at the preacher the whole time, we're nuts. We've lost touch with reality. Amen? 
People that are hurt, broken, bound by darkness, being pushed down and pushed around by their enemy. They're going to come in here by the skin of their teeth. They're going to sit wherever there's a spot as far back as they can get. And we better hope and pray the glory of God gets back there. But if I am taking their seat, how are they going to come into the kingdom? That's a soapbox. I'm sorry. I don't mean any, I don't mean any disrespect, please. Do you hear my heart? You believe me? You believe what I'm saying? The glory of God that is yet to be revealed in you is so strong, it might make you think like that. It might make you think that, man, if I lift my hands in worship, if I lift up Jesus, he just might draw all men unto him. If I lift up Jesus, not to get my, my, my fuzzy feeling, not to get my, my experience, if I lift up Jesus because he's worthy and he's mighty and he's powerful and he's amazing and he can save anybody. If I lift up Jesus, he just might draw all men unto him. He just might draw my kids unto him. He just might save my coworker who I invite to come to church and let them sit in the back where I would normally sit. You with me? The glory that is yet to be revealed in this house might change things, so do we want it? Do we want what God wants to do? If you getting that glory means the transformation of those people you love, would you take it? If it means raising your hands on mission, on purpose, so that Jesus is lifted up, so that that guy in the row will say, I want Jesus, doesn't that change things? I didn't mean to go there. I didn't go there in the night. The glory that is yet to be revealed in us. Verse 25. If we hope for what we do not see, through, through perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Verse 26. In the same way, in the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness. In the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Or in the King James it says, with groanings and utterings that cannot be uttered. So I'm groaning. My environment is groaning. But the Holy Spirit in me is groaning. The Holy Spirit in me is groaning and interceding. So this is the thing. What's God going to do about this situation? Well, for one, we have the Holy Spirit within us. And this Holy Spirit also helps our weakness. I want to do this as an example. In the 9 a.m., we did this as well. This is a weakness. In the same way, the Holy Spirit helps our weakness. That word helps means to take hold opposite of. All right? That means I'm pushing against my weakness. You're pushing against your weakness. But the Holy Spirit is here pushing against my weakness, pushing against your weakness. Amen. There's that thing that's keeping you from that glory. There's that thing that's keeping you from progressing, from going farther, going deeper, from knowing Him. And we push against it. We push against it. But the Holy Spirit pushes against it too. Amen. He helps us with our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us. And while He's pushing, He's interceding. That word intercede means to mediate or to intervene. So it's not just that He's standing there being like, all right, I got this too. That's great. That's helpful, isn't it? 
But while he's doing it, he's interceding. He's saying things. He's talking to God the Father. He's talking to Jesus, amen? He's saying things that we don't fully understand. You ever had the Holy Spirit tell you something you don't understand? You don't get it? And then later you're like, oh, that's what it was. Interceding with groanings and utterings that cannot be uttered, with things that I don't understand. All I know is that when I pray, something comes out of me, and it comes out and it pushes. I don't know what I'm saying all the time, but I know what it feels like. It feels like war. It feels like worship, whatever it is. It's interceding for me, and he's pushing, and he's pushing, and I'm pushing, and I'm pushing. And then he says, in verse 20, oh gosh, I got way ahead of myself. 27, it says, and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So here I am pushing against my weakness, striving for glory, amen? Here we are as a church pushing against, striving for glory. We are doing everything that we know to do. And here is the Holy Spirit showing up. He's coming in the place. He's pushing back against those weaknesses. He's speaking things that we don't fully know or understand just yet. And then he who searches the hearts, who's that? He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. It's not the Spirit because He addresses the Spirit as another person. He who searches the hearts. If you go to Revelation 2.23. Revelation 2.23. Sorry, Steve, I didn't put that in there. In Revelation 2.23, you're going to open your Bible and you're going to see that it's in red letters. And it says in the last half of that verse. Ah. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give each of you according to your deeds. So I'm pushing. We're pushing. Amen. The Holy Spirit is pushing. Amen. But then behind us comes Jesus. Come on. Don't miss this. Behind us comes Jesus. And Jesus has a hand in me. And he is searching my heart. He's searching our heart. Jesus is looking at our heart. He's looking at those low things that must come up. Those things we're deficient in that must get better. And he's looking at those high things that have exalted themselves against the knowledge of God in our life. And he's saying those things must come down. And while that's happening, the Holy Spirit over here is interceding and Jesus is knowing what he's saying. I don't know what the Holy Spirit's saying all the time, do you? But Jesus does. He knows the mind of the Spirit. He knows the mind. And in fact, that word mind, back in in chapter 8, that word mind actually means purpose. He knows why the Spirit's saying what He's saying. He knows what's happening and what the plan is. Amen? And then it says, Jesus, in verse 27, because He intercedes for the saints. So here I am pushing Here's the Holy Spirit pushing. He's interceding. Jesus is working on my heart. Jesus knows the mind of the Spirit. And Jesus is turning around and saying, Father, forgive them. Father, move for them. Father, speak the word only. Father. That's what Jesus is doing for you and I. That's what Jesus is doing. I'm groaning. My creation, everything around me is groaning because my environment needs to change. The Holy Spirit in me is groaning. And Jesus is working it. And we know it because in verse 28 it says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for our good. For the good of those who love God 
for those who are called according to His purpose. So for it all to work together, I've got to align with the purpose that God has. But I have everything that I need to do it. I'm groaning, I'm unhappy, there's disparity, there's friction, there's adversity, yes. But there's a Holy Spirit standing opposite of me, and He is pushing with everything He's got. And He's speaking mysteries that I don't understand. And Jesus is hearing those mysteries, and He's turning around and saying, Father, I'm working on their heart. Father, I'm working on those things that must come down, and they will come down, amen. I'm working on those things that must come up, and they will come up, amen. I'm working on these things. Father, move for them. Father, move for them. Father, move for them. And then back through Jesus, back into the Holy Spirit, back into me, back into you, comes glory. Comes glory. And what does that glory look like? Does it look like us, max level Pentecostal, on the floor, rolling around? Is that what that looks like? Maybe. Maybe. You know, I'm saying that a little bit ironically, right? Maybe. Verse 29, Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. That's it. That's what the glory looks like. That's what it looks like. It might be me prophesying over somebody. Yes, it might be. But it has to be me looking like Jesus. It might be people knowing my gift or my name. I really don't care about any of that. But it has to be me looking more like Jesus than I used to. Conformed. That word conformed means molded and shaped. It actually means to shape with. The, the image it kind of generates is, is like a, a form or a, a mold and the stuff being pushed into it, and then coming out looking just like it. Amen? You ever do that with, like, Play-Doh and stuff? I hate Play-Doh. It gets everywhere. It dries out. It's gross. I hate Play-Doh. I hate the smell of it. I don't like it on my hands. I have a weird thing about stuff on my hands. But I don't like it. But God is working in you and I because there is a glory that at present we may not have seen. At present, we may not have fully inside of us. But something is about to be revealed. Something is about to be poured into. Into. And it's going to be so strong and so powerful that my environment begins to be, be influenced by it. And I become influenced by it. And in the end, I look more like Jesus than I used to. Amen? You look more like Jesus than you used to. When God's sons and daughters are revealed, it doesn't matter if you've served the Lord for five minutes or 500 years. There is a glory yet ahead of you that you've not walked in just yet. And it is for the purpose of looking like Jesus and changing the environment around us. It is not for the purpose of having church six nights a week. It is not for the purpose of us standing on a street corner with a bullhorn telling people they're going to hell. It is not for that purpose. It is for the purpose that the sons and daughters of God look like, talk like, walk like, live like Jesus would 
That's what it's about. That's the goal. That's all. It's not about you becoming anything else. It's about you being conformed to the image of his son. The rest of the verse says, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And these whom he predestined, he called. And these whom he called, he justified. And these whom he justified, he glorified. Amen? Confirmation. He has invited us. He has called us. He will take care of justifying us. Amen? He did through Jesus. And in the end, we get to be glorified. And yeah, when I see him, I'm going to be like him. But I hope that when I see him and when he sees me, I look a little bit like him by the time I get there. Amen? Amen? You with me? You with me? I hope that our city sees a church full of people that look like Jesus, that we are more concerned with living like Jesus than being Pentecostal. It's my heritage. I love it. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. But we tend to worship it sometimes, don't we? Maybe Is that too strong a word? Okay, she said ouch, so I thought it was a bad thing to say. All right. You, you get what I mean? We strive for things more than we strive for Him. We strive for manifestations and experiences more than we strive for Him sometimes. But that's not the goal. He doesn't say that in the end we'll speak in tongues 23 hours a day. And we'll prophesy to everybody we meet. He says, in the end, we're conformed to the image of his son. That is the goal. That's all it's about. The rest will come, amen? The glory of God will come in this place. People will be saved. There is a harvest for this house and for your house. It's going to happen. But we need the people of God to get the glory that God has, has stored up for them. That's what we need. That's all we need. Your focus every day, every Sunday, every Wednesday, but every day is to come in and learn, read your Bible, commune with God to be like Jesus. That's it. If you do that, everything else will work out. Your gift will take care of itself. Your anointing will take care of itself. Because Jesus didn't mess that stuff up, did he? So if I'm like Jesus, I won't mess that up, will I? Most people mess it up because they're not like Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, was this hard? Was this tough? All right. Everybody's saying good things, so I don't want to hear on Tuesday. Oh, that bothered me. Stay with me this morning, afternoon. Hopefully it bothered you in the right way. Amen? Here's where we got to finish, though. Earth's groaning, we're groaning. The Holy Spirit within us is groaning. We're pushing back against weakness. The Holy Spirit's pushing it back against weakness. He's interceding. Jesus is working on the heart. Jesus is listening to the Spirit. Jesus is interceding toward the Father and then feeding that back to us. And then we get to verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Who is against us? If God is for the church, God is so for you. He is so for you. He is for you. He is for this house. He is for your house. Amen? He's for you. And if he is for you, and listen, do you get the impression, as I do, that the Trinity, that God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are really working as hard at this as we are? 
You know, I think it's easy for us to say, oh, they're up in heaven being glorified and praised all the time. But they're not. God is in the same place he was in Genesis chapter 1. The dirt. That's what we are. Earth, dirt. And just as he put his hands down and formed Adam, he's got his hands in us. He's got his hands upon us. They never left. His hands never left our life. He's still doing what God does. He's still reaching into mess and bringing life. Glory be to God. Praise be to God. What a good God we have. What a great Savior that He sent to us. Amen? What a powerful comforter and spirit of truth that we have in the Holy Spirit. We're not dangling by ourselves, individually or as a church. We're not out here by ourselves, hanging on by the skin of our teeth. But God is with us. He's in the trenches with us. He's got His hands in it too. I have hope today. I want you to have hope today that what is ahead is glorious. Hallelujah. What is ahead is glorious. What is ahead is made for you and I. What is ahead has God all over it. So who cares what's going on now? And I know that sounds flippant. Believe me, I care. All right? Not a person in this room who cares about right now more than I do. But can we take courage today? Can we be encouraged today? Can we maybe say, you know what? I might have a shot at this. I might, we might make it. We might, we might make it before heaven. What about that? What about that? Three years from now, we might be standing in a room full of people that we prayed for for all of our lives. Room full of people who were bound and broken and lost, who were all kinds of messed up and had every right to be. And yet there might be a room full of people in this place that we prayed for because we got in the glory of God and the glory of God got in us. And now here they are. It's We've not seen it yet, but it doesn't mean we won't. Hallelujah. Can we take courage in that today? Let's lift our hands. Father, we thank you. We take courage today. I want you to say that. I take courage today, Jesus. I recognize that what it is right now is not all that it will be. God, as hard as it has been, it will not always be that way, Lord. That you can move, you can speak, you can push, you can intercede. God, you know just what to do. And Lord, I open myself up for your glory. Come on, say that. Lord, I open myself up for whatever glory you have for me. Whatever glory you've made for me, God. If it needs room, God, hollow me out. Take that junk out of me that does not belong. Carve it out of me and make room for all the glory that you have for us. Lord, if there's anything in this house that must be removed, God, remove it so that all the glory you have for us will come in this place so that our children and our grandchildren, our cousins and our aunts and our uncles will know you. Our fathers and mothers will know you. They'll stand in this place. They'll lift their hands up. They'll feel the glory of God. And they too will be conformed to your image just like us. God, we give you permission to do. Can can we say that for a second? 
God, we give you permission to do with this house whatever you want to do. Amen. Whatever that glory looks like, God, pour it in this place. Whatever that glory looks like, pour it in this place. God, if it's not five-night-a-week revival, I'm okay with that. If it's not a hundred people slain in the Spirit, I'm okay with that. God, give us a harvest of people that look like Jesus. Give us a harvest of people, amen, and let us show them how to do it. In Jesus' mighty name. Are you encouraged? Are you lifted up? Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. Thank you for listening today to the Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you are blessed by today's word. If you would like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.